Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. I will say tonight that uh, this morning's message, as well as tonight's message, as well as the message on Community Sunday, are very salvation-focused. And let me just help us understand something as a believer. Uh, if you've been in church, how many have been in church for a year or more? You've been in church for a year or more, all right? How many have been in church for 15 years or more? All right, how about 30 years or more? Okay, let's do 50 years or more. All right, 50 years or more. How about 60 years or more? I think Brother Rich and, and Brother Lee, you all got us. And Miss Sandy, okay, uh, you all got us covered here. You know what? I think if we've been in church for any length of time, if we're honest, um, when we hear a message out of John 3, like tonight, or maybe Luke 10 this morning, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, or Luke 15 on, on uh, the 22nd is going to be about the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. Uh, you know what? When we're looking at things like that, we can hear it, and we just kind of go, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, John 3, 16. Oh, yeah, John 3. Oh, I, I, know, that be, I know that one well. Can I just encourage us tonight as we, we're going to really kind of look at salvation tonight because I think Jesus, the entire reason he came, who he was, was the savior of the world, right? And why he came was to save the world. So it's all salvation based. And so I just want to encourage us tonight. If we can, let's come into this time and let's not close our ears off. All right, let's be reminded about some things. As you open up John chapter number three, we're introduced to Nicodemus. Now, some things about Nicodemus you read in that passage there. The Bible tells us that he was a Pharisee. Now, in John uh, chapter 3 and verse number 2, it says that he came to Jesus during the day, doesn't it? No, it doesn't say that. It says he came to Jesus by night. He's kind of afraid. I believe Nicodemus was a little shy at this time. He, he didn't want to know because uh, we're already, listen, it's very interesting. Jesus is only three months into his ministry and he's already making enemies. He's already making enemies. The Pharisees already hate him. The Pharisees already can't stand who Jesus is. They don't like what he stands for. They don't like anything that he's taught. The cleansing of the temple, they weren't standing for because they were the ones behind it and profiting uh, from some of the, man, the uh, uh, trading and things taking place in the temple. And so they, Jesus has already made enemies just three months in. And so this man, Nicodemus, he comes to Christ by night. But the Bible tells us that he not only comes to him by night, but that he is what I said a moment ago. He's a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees, these would be the religious leaders. These would be uh, the preachers of the day. These would be the folks that supposedly knew the scripture, like the scribes. They would know the law. And like the Sadducees, they would be some that had some uh, knowledge of God. The Pharisees, they would know the Jewish law. They would know the Jewish customs. And they would be what you would call the religious people. They kind of upheld that. And I recognize we're on a Sunday night, so most of us know that. But the Bible doesn't tell us that he's just came to Jesus by night or that he was just a Pharisee. The Bible says that he was a chief or a ruler among the Jews. Now, what that helps us understand when the Bible uses the phrase ruler among the Jews, it's referring often, not all the time, but often it's referring to the Sanhedrin. All right. Now the Sanhedrin were made up of um, 71 I think it's 70, 71 individuals, maybe 70, 71 individuals. It would have the high priest, and they would have a number of Pharisees and 
at some, on some instances, even some Sadducees that would come together as the Sanhedrin. This would be the special council. Well, the Bible tells us that he was a ruler among the Jews, so we know then that he was part of the Sanhedrin. So here's this man, Nicodemus, coming to Jesus by night. He's a Pharisee, so he's religious. Not only is he religious, but he's one of the most religious. And he comes to Christ and proposes to Jesus this thought. We know that you're sent from God because nobody can do those miracles unless they're sent from God. And in that thought, it's who are you and why are you here? And I want us to see that Jesus gives them, he gives Nicodemus the answer and he gives us the answer. And he is very clear on why he's here. I want you to take your Bible and notice, first of all, that Jesus gives him this clear answer. He gives him, talks to him about the requirement of the new birth. The requirement of the new birth. Hey, the reason I'm here is because everyone must be born again. The requirement for new birth. Look at with me if you would. Nicodemus comes to Christ and submits himself to Christ. The word rabbi, it means master teacher. So Nicodemus, Nicodemus is not coming in. I forgot to say this. He's not coming in with arrogance in this passage. Many of the Pharisees, if you read, I've just finished up Matthew this morning. If you read the Gospels, you see the Pharisees coming to Christ, and they were often coming to him. Uh, Brother Jim, they're often coming to him like, oh, oh yeah, well, if you're that smart then. And they, the Bible says that they'd often try to trap him in, the, in his words. So this man, Nicodemus, being a Pharisee, you would expect that, but he's not. He's coming with a humble heart. We know that because of the phrase rabbi. The way it's used, it's spoken in sincerity. Master teacher. Hey, master teacher, why are you here? And Jesus gives to him an answer. He talks about the requirement of the new birth. Look at verse 3 and 4. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And, and hearing that, I mean, Nicodemus is kind of confused. You and I, maybe if you've been around church for any length of time, the phrase born again, you understand that. The phrase the new birth, we understand that. But here's Nicodemus. He hasn't heard these things before. And he says to Jesus, listen, who are you and why are you here? And Jesus says, I'm here uh, because everyone needs to be born again. Except you be born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus's question is, well, how can you be born again? Are you supposed to go back into your mother's womb? Like, is that what you're talking about? And notice Jesus continues, verse 5. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. He says, hey, don't be astounded by this. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus gives to him, and we don't have a time to do all of the in-depth study. Really, that would be a whole series in itself in this passage. But Jesus says, listen, there is a physical birth and there is a spiritual birth. 
That which is born of flesh, physical, and that which is born of spirit, spiritual. And he talks about the second spiritual birth. He says, hey, the physical birth is seen, but the spiritual birth is like the wind. You say, what is that? Look at the verse, verse number eight. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Hey, physical birth you can see, but a spiritual birth, it's like the wind. You can't see it. You can't see the Spirit being born into somebody. You can't see someone being born into the Spirit. But I want us to notice what Jesus said in verse number seven, because he used a phrase to be very clear. Here's the phrase. Ye, or you, individually, you must be born again. The requirement, every single person must be born again. Now, I covered this this morning in our gospel message for First Responder Sunday, but the truth is tonight that it's good for us to be reminded that every single person is going to stand before God. And every single person, if we are going to stand before God, and have favor from God, we must have Jesus Christ. But we only have Jesus Christ if we've been born again. If we've had a physical birth, which I'll help you out on that one. If you're here, you've had that, right? Just want to make it clear. We've had a physical birth, but every single person must have a spiritual birth. If you're born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you only die once. It's a great thought. If you're born once, you'll die twice. You have this death, and after that, the judgment and the second death, hell. But if you're born twice, physical birth, spiritual birth, you only have to go through the death of this life, never to die again. Well, how? Because you've been born again. Because you've been born again. Man, Jesus is pretty clear on this one, isn't he? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't beat around the bush here. He says, you individually, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Jesus gives the requirement of this new birth. And I want you to say, I want you to notice with me that the question that Nicodemus gives to Christ, it often is the question of people that maybe you come across. Verse number nine. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Who are you and why are you here? Well, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and you must be born again. There's a requirement. It's called a new birth. You have to be born again, Nicodemus. Well, how does that happen? Notice the answer. I want you to see with me. If we go to this, Nicodemus saying, how can these things be? He's asking, how can this happen? How can I be born of the Spirit? What makes that possible? And that brings, secondly, what I've called the reasons we can have new birth. You see the requirement for new birth, but then Jesus is going to answer his question by giving the reasons that we can have a new birth. Notice, if you will, verse 10, down through verse number 19. Just read 10 through 13 right now. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. 
If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that has come down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. In short, Christ is saying to him, hey, you're supposed to be a religious leader who knows the law and who knows the prophecies. I mean, these are things that have already been delivered to you. But since I'm the Son of Man, Son of God that's come from heaven, I'm going to explain this. And Jesus proceeds to explain it. Well, how does he explain it? Well, the reasons that you and I can be born again is we have to understand that in order to be born again, a life had to be given. In order for you and I to be born again, a life has to be given. Notice what Jesus says, verse 14. He says, as Moses was lifted up by the, or as Moses lifted up the serpent, and Moses was lifted up by the serpent, that'd be pretty scary. That'd be a big old serpent. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In those two verses, Christ tells what must happen to him in order that a new birth could happen for others. What he uses is an illustration from Numbers chapter 21, verse 7 through 9. The story goes like this. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. It was a time when murmuring was rampant in the people of Israel, and because of that, God allowed serpents to come in, biting people, and they were dying off. Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. And set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked up at the serpent of brass, he lived. In the passage, just as I stated, the children of Israel, they had sinned. God had allowed serpents to come in, and the solution was Moses making a brass serpent, holding it up, and if people looked... If people looked up and saw the serpent, they would live. The illustration that Jesus is making, he's comparing him being lifted up on the cross, that a life has to be given. Jesus' life had to be given so that you and I could have a new birth. Without his death on the cross, there is no new birth for any of us. That's one of the reasons that we can have a new birth is because Jesus gave his life. He died upon the cross so that we could look to him for salvation. His life had to be given. The Bible says this, 1 John 2, 2, a verse that you're probably familiar with. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He is the substitute. He is the stand-in. He is the one who took the penalty, who took the payment. His life had to be given so that we could be saved. As one man said, Jesus Christ had to die upon the cross so that we could look to him and find salvation. So what are the reasons? How can this be? How could I be born again? How can I have this? Nicodemus asks, and Jesus says, well, life had to be given. But then he also tells him that love had to be given. In order for you and I to be born again, a life had to be given, but that life was given because a love was given. That's where we come to those verses. I referenced them this morning, John 3, 16 through 18. You could quote them probably. They say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God 
sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him that is not, excuse me, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Definitely one of the most known verses is John 3, 16. People who don't even go to church often know John 3, 16. And that verse sums up an incredible amount of information. But all of these verses go together. John 3, 16, 17, and 18, and really John 3, 1 through 21. They all go together. And in the context, Jesus is simply saying, because God loved us so much to send his son or to send Christ into the world, he didn't send Christ to condemn the world, but he sent Christ to provide an escape for the world. And Nicodemus, in order for you to have new birth, God had to show his love. Can I tell you tonight that new birth could not take place in our life had God not loved? Why don't you think about this tonight, just, just for a moment. I know it's repetitious sometimes. I want you to understand that you and I, we don't deserve his love. You know, sometimes we think, and I mentioned this in our Life Stage Adult uh, Fellowship this morning, that sometimes we think God got something when he got us. You know, sometimes we like to uh, perform for God. God, aren't you pleased with what I gave today? God, aren't you pleased with me handing out that community Sunday invitation? God, aren't you pleased with my message. Aren't you pleased with that song? God, aren't you pleased with the way I worshiped in church today? God, aren't you pleased? And we begin to think that we deserve his love. Can I just tell you and remind all of us tonight, we don't. When God got you, he got the same thing when he got me. Just a wretched old sinner in need of him. So don't ever think don't ever think or get over the fact that you're loved by a creator who says you don't deserve it. Did you know that? His, his love is not based upon us. It's based solely upon him. And I'm thankful tonight to be reminded about his love. And Jesus, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, he says to him, <clears throat> Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how is this possible? Well, it's made possible because a life was given and a love was given. As we think about the love of Christ tonight, I, I see a couple of thoughts and I'm going to read them to you. I see, first of all, we see the measure of his love. What's the measure of his love? It's in those two letters. It's the third word, for God so. We've talked about that word before and that word is just simply, to, it's just a simple way of saying it's indescribable. For God indescribably loved you. He so loved you. His measure of love, it reached down, and some of us, we would, there, there's some, they'll think again that God got something, but many would just say, you know what, I know I'm unlovable. If you don't think that, ask your spouse. They'll tell you there's probably some times that you're unlovable. Let's just be honest, there's some times when we're, we're unlovable people, and yet the Bible still says the measure of his love was so indescribable. Jesus, speaking about the love that had been given, gives us that measure of love. He gives us the magnitude of his love. For God so loved the world. 
Oh, that love, it reaches way down. It's a, it's a deep-reaching love. It's a love that covers everybody. Don't, let, don't ever let anybody tell you that God loves some and doesn't love others. Oh, well, what about, what about Romans chapter number 9? It says, therefore, I have loved uh, Jacob and Esau. Have I hated? Isn't that? Listen, go read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and it'll all make sense. God was not picking and choosing. God does not say, I love some and don't love others. The Word of God says he loved the world. He loved the world. Man, the magnitude of his love. But then Jesus also talks about the manifestation of his love in that very simple verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. Man, God showed his love. He didn't stop by saying, I love you, and that's it. He said, I love you, and in order to show it, I'm going to give my son. Real love, real love, always shows up in action. Real love always shows up in action. In a marriage, honey, I love you. You can tell your wife or your husband you love them all you want. You can tell your kids, your grandkids, or your parents that you love them all you want. But if you never act like it, they're probably not going to really believe it. Because love, true love, shows up in action. That manifestation. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, the reasons that you and I could have salvation or be born again is because a life was given and a love was given. I see thirdly tonight that Jesus, he's very clear not only about the requirement of a new birth and the reasons we can have a new birth, but he's very clear about the receiving of this new birth. He's very clear on the decision that needs to be made in the believer all or in the, in the individual. All throughout the passage, all throughout the passage, you read this phrase, that whosoever believeth, that whosoever believeth. It's in verse 15, verse 16, and verse 18. He that believeth on him is how it's mentioned in verse number 18. But verse 15 and 16, it says that whosoever, very simply, and, and many here know it, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're born again by believing. You're born again, you have that second birth by believing in the Son of God, by believing in the Messiah. This thought went against everything that Nicodemus knew to be true. Do you ever wonder, those of you that read the Word, ever wonder when you're reading through maybe the Gospels and you see the discussions or the discourses between Jesus and the Pharisees, do you ever wonder why they hate him so much? I mean, I've wondered that, you know, be reading through there and thinking, man, why do they hate him so much? I mean, here he is, Jesus, he did miracles for families of the Pharisees. We have to know that the, the life and ministry of Jesus touched the Pharisees personally. I mean, they came out to see him and hear him teach, and they were astounded at his words. And the Bible tells us that his words left them speechless at times. I mean, how could you just be so adamantly against somebody like that? Well, here's why. It's because everything Jesus taught was contrary to what they believed. They, oh yeah, they believed the law, but listen, they believed that you found acceptance with God because of the law. That's what the Jew believed, that's what the, the Pharisee believed and often pushed upon the Jew, but we've been going through our our series and our study, Relentless on Sunday mornings in the book of Judges, listen, all throughout the Old Testament, is God interested in religion or relationship? 
He's interested in relationship with his people. Now, does that relationship often show up in actions of obedience and sacrifice and different things? Yes, but at the foundation of it is relationship. The Pharisees, they were a group of people that they had missed that completely. They had missed it entirely. They were thinking that in order to find favor with God, we must do, we must perform. And so Jesus says to them, no, in order to be born again, in order to have favor with God, in order to have a right relationship with God, you simply have to believe. I hope you've made that decision to believe upon Christ because Jesus made it very clear. Isn't that clear? Whosoever believeth shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty clear verse. <clears throat> Can I just help you understand something? Those of you that have religious friends that debate with you, maybe at work, a lot of people, and I had this one time, many of you remember Brian Thomas, and um, of course, we miss the Thomases. They're here every summer for a, a little vacation, but <clears throat> about five years ago, Brian, he said, Pastor, I got a coworker that's really been debating with me that baptism's part of salvation. He said, I, I've set up a lunch would you go with us? I said, only if the lunch is where somewhere I like. Where are we going? He said, Jay's Teriyaki. I said, I'm there. I like that. I'm just kidding. I said, sure, let's go to lunch. So I went and we sat down, me and Brian and his coworker, and we sat there for about an hour and 15 minutes. And this coworker, he just, he said, well, I understand what you, what you believe as a Baptist. He said, and, I, and you probably understand what I believe as a, I forget exactly what, what religion he called himself. He said, but I, I think that you both, we both agree. The Bible says that in Acts, in the book of Acts, when people got saved, that in order to get saved, they had to get baptized. Oh, and it's also in Mark 16 that you have to get, have to get uh, baptized and trust Christ. That's what you do to go to heaven. Can I just tell you, there's some places in Scripture where the words couple together, and it, it could lead someone to believe that. But not when you, listen, not when you study out the entirety of Scripture. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say by taking a verse out of context. But you have to look at the context not only around the verses, but around the chapter. And then, if you're not finding answers there, you know the context you look at? The context of Scripture as a whole. And what is the principle taught throughout the entire Word of God about receiving Christ? It's simple. All you have to do is believe. Whosoever believes. Man, with that belief is confession. And we know that. We know that to be true. I say all that to simply say this. If baptism was a key, all right? If baptism was a key to salvation or church attendance, if anything else was a key to salvation, it would be in John 3. It would be there. Jesus would have said to Nicodemus, because otherwise, Jesus is leading Nicodemus astray. And Jesus, he's not going to do that. So he would have said to him, you have to believe and have the baptism of John the Baptist. Or you have to believe and have to have me or one of the disciples baptize you. That would be in the passage, but it's not. Why? Because the way that we receive salvation is very simple. Whosoever believeth. Don't you love the simplicity of the gospel? Man, I had one couple on an Easter a number of years ago and a couple we'd been praying for and they were sitting in my office and, and uh, I remember them sitting in there and I went through the whole 
gospel with them. And she, I had got to the end and I said, now would you all like to make that decision to receive Christ as your savior? And she's kind of sitting there and, and I couldn't tell if, you know, it was kind of one of those blank stares. You know, I, cu- I couldn't tell if she was still with me, you know, or just kind of looking past me or something. And I remember I, I called her by name and I said, you know, Susie, are you, is that a decision you want to make? And she's just staring. She's kind of just like that. And I thought, she's missed this all. And I said, Susie, do you want to make that decision? She went, I'm, I'm sorry, Pastor. That just sounds way too easy. I'm sitting here in my mind thinking, I don't know what to say because it sounds too easy. Surely, and here's what they said, surely there has to be something that we have to do to get what you just told us about. I said, Susie, you don't. No, there's, there's only one thing that's asked of us, and it's to receive him, to believe, to admit that we're sinners, that we are sinners before him, that he is a holy, righteous God, and that forgiveness is only through him, and then receive that. that, that that's, that's it. And I remember, praise the Lord, as they bowed their heads and prayed and received Christ sitting there in the office. But I remember that person. I, I remember there's been many people, and you, you probably thought it when you got saved. And that's too easy. Jesus gave Nicodemus this thought, understanding that you have to believe Jesus said it this way in John 5, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Jesus is approached by Nicodemus, this man searching for truth. Who are you? Why are you here? And Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear. I am come to bring eternal life. And in order to receive that, you have to be born again. That new birth, it's, it's made possible by the reasons of a life that was given and a love that was given. And you, all you have to do is receive it, Nicodemus. And then I want you to see lastly tonight that Jesus gives the result of a new birth. When we, after we've received him, what takes place, verse 19 down through 21. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. We don't have time to get into it, but simply Jesus is saying this is how you can know you're born again. The the word doeth is a, a continuing word. It's an active verb. And Here's what Jesus is saying. If you continue practicing evil with no concern for the light, you're probably not, you probably don't have that new birth. However, the person that continues after truth, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but there's a continual concern about the walk with God. You're coming to the light. That phrase means that you come again and again and again and again, that your deeds may be known. There's a relationship there. When that happens, that person, you're, you're probably saved. You're probably born again. In these verses, we don't have time again. Jesus is simply saying this. When someone's born again, like we looked at this morning, there is going to be change. There's going to be a concern for the light. 
There's a lot of people, you meet them and I do too, there's a lot of people that claim to know Jesus, aren't there? And I, I believe today that there's probably a lot of people out there that don't go to church, that have never been to Moses Lake Baptist, that maybe never even got baptized, but they do know the Lord. One, one old preacher says, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised who's not there. Um, okay. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at who is there. And they were saved. Man, that, that, that neighbor knew the Lord. Man, that cohort, wow. But here's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, wickedness loves darkness and hates light. But when you come to the light, you'll love the light. A saved person, a saved person, deep down, man, they're going to love the Lord. Oh, it doesn't mean you can't backslide for a little bit. How many of you know somebody who's been backslidden? How many of you have been backslidden? Man, some of us probably raise our hand. Does that mean you weren't saved? No, 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 no. No, don't let someone take that or take 1 John and say that if you, if you ever sin again, that, that you can't be saved. That's called lordship salvation, and that's not in the Bible either. Here's what Jesus is getting at with Nicodemus. Hey, Nicodemus, I'm presenting to you a choice. You must be born again. Who are you and why are you here? Nicodemus, I'm here to bring new life. I'm here to bring forgiveness and salvation to a darkened world. I am the light. You must be born again. <clears throat> it's a pretty simple salvation message, isn't it? I want to do two things with this message tonight. Number one, I just want to remind you that if you're saved, it's a great thing to be in the light. And you have Christ. That means that your loved ones that know the Lord that are gone on before, you're going to see them again. Miss Anita and I were talking about Brother Sam right before service. And you know what? We both are encouraged. I'm going to see Brother Sam Stewart again. I'm going to see Don Honeycutt again. I'm going to see Marlene Sutton again. I'm going to see Felix Avila again. I'm going to see Craig McLean again. I'm going to see others. I'm going to see Larry Hall again. And I'm going to see my little brother, Dustin, again. I'm going to see Daniel's dad, Richard Blim, again. I'm going to see many of us. We go around, say to the people, we're going to see again. Well, how is that possible? It's because you've been born again. Oh, you're going to get to go to heaven. Listen, your worst day on this earth is the worst thing you're ever going to experience. Because the worst day on earth is better than the best day in hell. You're not ever going to hell if you've been born again. So the first thing I want us to think about tonight is this. If you know Christ, man, just rejoice in it. When's the last time you sincerely, you know, we often pray, I just want to praise God for my salvation. I just, oh, praise time. Salvation. I praise him for salvation. Oftentimes we say it, but we're not really meaning it. We're not stopping to say, God, Thank you. Thanks for the life that was given, the love that was given. First challenge tonight, let's just rejoice in it a little bit. But the second question I want to give you, and this is with thought to Community Sunday, I want to ask you what Nicodemuses are around you. There are people in our society and in our culture and in your sphere of influence that are just like Nicodemus. Who is Jesus? And why was he here?
Who is he? Why did he come? There's a Nicodemus that you're going to meet this week at the grocery store. There's a Nicodemus that you're going to meet at the restaurant. There's a Nicodemus that lives next door to you. There's a Nicodemus in your family. There's a Nicodemus out there, and here's what they need. They need you to be a picture of Christ to them. And here's what I mean by that. You need to be clear. Say, Pastor, what do you mean? Jesus, when he was asked, who are you and why are you here? He was clear. He gave the answer. There's a Nicodemus in your life. They need you to give the gospel clearly to them. So many Christians, we're scared and we're timid to tell people about Jesus. Oh, we'll tell them about our sports teams. Do you guys know football weekend kicked off this weekend? Did you watch the Seahawks today, Gordon? All right, good. My phone broke, so I couldn't watch the game today. You know what? It's football season. All baseball's wrapping up here soon. Said we're in September and we're going to get into October and get into the World Series and all that. And people will be wearing their hats. And then we're going to get into uh, basketball and get into the uh, Christmas time when basketball's winding, just starting really because it always goes. Basketball like goes forever. Basketball and baseball. It's just you got. We got sports teams. We'll be glad to let people know about. Oh, we'll be glad to share with people, our family. Oh, man, look at this. Oh, let me tell you about Johnny. Oh, let me, look at, let me show you this picture of my son. And those, those, those things are fine to do. It's fine. But oftentimes, we get more excited about stuff than we do the Savior. And Nicodemus is all around us. It might come out that you're a Christian, and they'll go, huh, Never would have guessed. I wonder, what Nicodemus do you know that needs you just to be clear with them? You say, well, pastor, I'm not built that way. That's why we're having a community Sunday. It's to help us as a church family be clear. We're inviting people in, and you know, what, you know that Sunday on, on uh, September 22nd? The message is this. You're lost. You're a lost sheep. You're a lost silver coin. You're a lost son. The Father has his arms wide open and is waiting for you to come to him. Listen, it's a salvation message. This week, you might not have the opportunity to go all the way through the gospel, but we do probably have the opportunity to maybe go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I wanna invite you to be my guest at Community Sunday. Oh, we're not trying to just grow the church by number. We're not trying to do that. If that happens, praise God. But what we're trying to do is get people in here, as many lost people in here as we can. Wouldn't it be great if there's five or 10 or 12 or whatever number you wanna come up with, lost people on that day? And it's because they got an invitation, because someone saw them as a Nicodemus, because someone retweeted or reposted something on social media, because somebody just went out blitzing and left this on their door. Wouldn't it be great if people came to know Christ because our church was clear about the gospel? And I think it would be. And so I ask you tonight, two thoughts. Number one, would you rejoice in the salvation you have? But number two, would you take your salvation and help another Nicodemus find it? Help another Nicodemus come to know Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.